0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ Center life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Thanks, worship team. Doesn't our worship team do a good job week after week leading us into the presence of God? All right, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. You can meet me there on your phone or in your Bible, Romans chapter 8. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1132 in that Bible. We are plugging away through our series that we've called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. Uh, We spend lots of time talking about the Father and lots of time talking about the Son, but we wanted to take some time to talk about the third person of the Trinity, who doesn't always get as much attention and doesn't always have as much clarity, uh, is maybe a bit more mysterious. And so we've been looking at what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit as we get to know Him better, Uh, because the Holy Spirit is not an it, it is not an impersonal force, uh, it is a Him who is fully God. And so I hope you are seeing as we go through this series uh, how crucial the Holy Spirit is to us as we walk. With Jesus, how important to our walk with God the Holy Spirit is. In fact, we can't do it without His help. Uh, So, hopefully, we are are learning some things about Him as we go through this. Before we jump in, I want to show you a short video uh, just as we get ready to jump into our text today. And uh, just the the topic today is a little bit tricky, and so it was hard to find a video that fit. But I wanted to find a video that kind of got at the nature of uh, sin and disobedience, and our, our kind of natural nature, and, and our response to disobedience in our lives. So let's take a look at this. Says it all, really. I there's something in that of, I don't want to be bad. I don't want to do what's bad. I want to do what's right. But there's something in me that draws me back to do things that I know that I shouldn't. And a dog doesn't think all that through, obviously. But, and yet, in a dog, there is something instinctual that says, I've got to shred this pillow to shreds. We have a new puppy in our house, and everything's ruined. Just the whole house. Just everything's been ripped to shreds. We're teaching the kids, if you leave a toy on the floor, that's fair game. That's not... That's not the dog's fault, uh, because there's just something instinctual that goes there. And as we talk about sin today, uh, we're talking about any way in which we fall short of what God has called us to do. God has given us commandments, and we sometimes break those commandments. And uh, as we talk about sin, we just need to be a bit careful uh, in the time we live in in the church you 've heard me say before that church history is this long kind of history of the pendulum swinging back and forth where the church will do this practice or believe this thing and it goes just kind of too far over here, and so they react to it and then kind of go over here and then that goes too far and then it kind of swings back again and with sin, I remember growing up in church i didn 't become a Christian until I was a, a later teenager, but growing up in church, the emphasis was on holiness, but it was very much sort of a guilt driven uh, Kind of judgmental holiness. It wasn't like out of your relationship with God, walk in His ways. It was you're a filthy, horrible sinner, and and that was drilled into us a lot. And a lot of that uh, had to, to sort of moved into legalism as well, right? So when I was growing up in church, you did not go to the movies, you did not dance ever, you did not play cards, and so it became this very kind of self righteous, judgmental thing. Uh, and not that it was wrong to be trying to get away from sin, but the attitude behind it maybe wasn't the best. And so what that inevitably, uh, you know, brings out in us when there's a very rigid code with nothing else behind it, uh, you know, other than this kind of self-righteous, judgmental attitude, is that we put on this fake front, and we pretend like we're doing great, and we put on the shiny... Christian smile, and we pretend that we're really, really holy, and and people aren't honest with each other, and so that's kind of what I grew up in, and I know from talking to to some of you, you you remember something like that in churches that you grew up in, but what then happened is it swung the other way somewhere in the last kind of 20 years, and, and the emphasis now is much more on being authentic and being transparent and being honest about our sin, and that's not a bad thing. Right? There's no point in lying about the fact that we're sinners. We know that we are. And so, uh, you know, you hear me say all the time, you know, we're broken, sinful people that are just kind of struggling our way to to know God better and figure that out. But where we need to be careful, where I need to be careful, is that even as we embrace that kind of transparency and honesty— where we acknowledge that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and the person beside you is a sinner, that even as we do that, we don't fall into the trap of going, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, well, that's just the way it is, and we're just going to be okay in our sin, right? In the name of not being judgmental, uh, I think the pendulum can swing too far the other way where we just go, well, sin's just normal, what are you going to do? And as much as we acknowledge our sin, we don't ever want to stay in our sin, right? Like we we acknowledge that we're sinners, but we don't ever want our sin to become normal or something that we're okay with because we're trying to move past that as we walk with God. Scripture tells us that Jesus has come and he has dealt with our sin. He has paid the price for our sin. He has brought forgiveness for our sin. He has come and he has borne in his body our sins on the cross. He has paid that price already. But he didn't just do that to forgive our sins. He didn't just do that to pay the price for our sins. Jesus came also to set us free from our sins. He came so that we wouldn't do those sins anymore. He came to bring us into purity and holiness, not just dealing with it in the past, but actually transforming us so we don't do these things anymore. He has come to bring us into holiness. And today we're emphasizing the Holy Spirit. That's his name, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to bring us to holiness. It has been said often that God loves you just the way you are, and it's an absolute truth. Just the way you are, just as I am, the old hymn said. Just the way you are with our sinfulness, our brokenness, with the bad decisions and bad choices we've made. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way that we are. And so he knows that sin hurts us, and so that's why he says, don't do these things. They hurt yourself, they hurt other people, so don't sin. They hurt your relationship with God, they hurt our communion with him, so don't do them. They hurt your neighbor, they hurt your spouse, they hurt your kids, don't do these things. God's not on a power trip. He says, like a good parent, avoid behaviors that are going to do damage to you. And so God says don't do these things. We struggle with that. But today we're talking about how the Holy Spirit comes to help us walk in holiness so that we can walk in ways that are pleasing to God. Let's take a look at our text today. We're in Romans chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 1. And this, for my money, is one of the greatest passages in the entire Bible right here. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus— Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is love and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Come on! God's Word. We could spend eight weeks just talking about that passage, just verse by verse. There's so much gold in there, we're just going to skim over it uh, in a very light way today. But if you want to go deeper, I encourage you to go deeper. Go Google Romans chapter 8 and read some commentary, see what else comes up. So we're talking about the law. That phrase the law shows up in this passage. And when the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about the commandments. It came to Moses on Mount Sinai. It included the 10 commandments and actually many other commandments. Actually, 613 laws and statutes and commandments. That covered everything from morality, uh, sin, how Israel was to be governed, civic law, uh, ceremonial stuff that had to do with the temple. It was very, very specific, and it was very, very clear. And the law laid out God's holy standard. This is what God requires. This is how God wants us to live. It was the revelation of God's holiness that he called his people to live up to. And often in the Old Testament, when prophets came, they were coming to call Israel out on the fact that they were forgetting God's law, they were falling short of the law. He came to call them back. The prophets would call them back to righteousness and holiness. So the law has come to show us what God's standard is. And if you go home today, if you Google uh, you know, 613 law, or Old Testament law, if you do 613 law, you'll get an actual list. One to two, 613. You'll get the whole list And what you'll find as you start to read through this list is by the time you hit about number seven, you'll be going, wow, I'm not living up to this thing. And if you read the whole list, you will go, wow, I'm not doing much if not most of what's on here. I am not living up to this standard. And so the law is there and we fall short of it. That's the bad news. The good news is, I guess if you want to look at it this way, you're not alone. We all fall short of it. Paul says earlier in Romans, actually, we have all, every person on earth has fallen short of this standard. There is nobody who has lived up to this perfectly except for Jesus. So we have all broken God's commandments. We have all broken God's laws. That makes us lawbreakers. And any time where we break God's law, we call that sin. Any time we have not fulfilled what he has commanded us to do, we call that sin. And we have all done that. We are all law breakers. And so God, who is just, who has set this standard, who is holy, who has said, this is what I require has set this standard for us that we don't live up to, and there's a problem now because just like if I were to go out and rob a bank, breaking the law brings justice upon it, right? When we break the law, justice has to react. If if Canada is to have any credibility, they have to have a justice system that punishes lawbreakers, right? There is right and there is wrong, and you have to deal with what's wrong. You just have to if justice is to exist. And so if we break God's laws, justice has to respond. Lawbreaking has to be punished. If God is going to have any credibility, and because we believe there is right and there is wrong, and God is the author of what is right and and the, the one who decides what is wrong, if we break his law, there has to be justice. There has to be if he is truly going to be a good and righteous and just God. And so because we have broken that law, we are worthy of justice, divine justice coming upon us. We are worthy to be judged for how we've broken the law, just like anyone who breaks the law. And we are worthy of condemnation for breaking that. We are worthy of whatever punishment God has because anyone who breaks the law just has to be punished if God is righteous. And yet at the same time, God is love. And God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. His love for us is so incomprehensible. Paul would write to the church in Ephesians and say, I just pray that you can grasp, like not even understand it, but just grasp a little bit how wide and deep and long is the love of God for you. This incredible massive love that is beyond understanding. I pray that you would know it a little bit. The love for God is so huge. His mercy and compassion for us is so huge. Then rather than look at us and say, these are lawbreakers worthy of judgment and justice and condemnation for breaking my Laws, God says, I have another solution to this problem. I have another way that this can be worked out. And Paul talks about it starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So, there's no condemnation, not period, but there's no condemnation for us. There is no divine justice falling on us. There is no, uh, uh, none of God's wrath falling on us. Not because God changed his standard in any way, but it says that God took that condemnation, that judgment, that justice, and he put it on Jesus who took it in our place. So it's not that there's no condemnation at all. There's just no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus because God took that condemnation and in Jesus he condemned sin. In Jesus he judged sin. In Jesus the divine justice was poured out. Paul says that the law was powerless to help us. The law couldn't save anybody because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, we in our flesh, in our sinfulness, in our selfishness, in our kind of default nature, we couldn't live up to the law. And so the law couldn't save us. It was just we were too weak. We liked sin too much. And so God gets around that, not by lowering his standard in any way, But by Jesus standing up and saying, I will take the condemnation. I will take the justice. I will take the punishment that their sin deserves. Because we love them so much. And so he took that all on himself. So any condemnation, judgment, or justice that we deserved was put on Jesus entirely. And when he died, he said, it's finished. That condemnation isn't there for us anymore. Justice has been fully served. And yet love has won the day at the same time in the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything that we deserved, he has taken. The Lord has put upon him the iniquity of us all. And so it's gone. That sin that was there was gone. This old picture from the Billy Graham Association from back in the day is still such a good one that our sin has separated us from God. There's a a division there that our sin uh, has pulled us away from a perfect, holy, just God. But in Jesus, that chasm has been bridged. In Jesus, we have been brought back into connection, into communion, into relationship with God. He has brought us back into relationship with Him. So any condemnation that we feel as Christians uh, because we sinned or, or struggled or whatever, we need to know that that doesn't come from God right? If we are feeling condemned, if we are feeling like God can't love me, if we're feeling like that can't be forgiven, that's not from God. God dealt with that on the cross. If we're feeling that sense of condemnation, that might just come from ourselves, that might come from the enemy, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's really good news. It's just done. It's dealt with. Not anything that we did, we have been saved by an act of God. And yet, even as we understand that, we understand this struggle. We've been talking about this throughout the series. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh, again, just our sinful nature, our default position, the the body of sin that we're in, that even though we've been set free from our sin, you know, at the cross, even though we've been forgiven, we understand that, just like those dogs in that video, there is something within us, instinctual maybe, that draws us back to do things that we're not supposed to do. That even though we know we're forgiven and even though we know we're loved and even though we know what we're supposed to do, we can just get sucked back into the old ways, the old patterns, the old temptations, the old desires. And so there's the struggle between our, our sinful self and then the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us, who is calling us to holiness. And so verse 5 and then verse 9 in today's text, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So there is this struggle that is very, very real. We're reading in Romans chapter 8 about the the flesh and the Spirit. But if you go back one chapter before to Romans chapter 7, Paul writes this. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Praise Jesus for Romans 7. Amen? Aren't you glad that's in there? Is there a person on earth who can't relate to that struggle? Right? I want to do the righteous thing, but that's hard. I can't always do it. And I don't want to sin anymore, but sometimes sin is right there. Paul says elsewhere in the chapter, every time I try to do good, sin is right there beside me. Right? I I delight in God's law. I love God's word, but sin is there. And Paul uses the language of there's this war going on within me. The good I know I'm called to do, and then the sin nature within me that keeps pulling me back the other way. There is this great struggle going on inside of me. And yet, just like I said earlier, we can read this, and goodness knows I've gone to this text many times and been encouraged Okay, so even Paul struggled with this. Paul saw Jesus face to face. Paul prayed for the dead and they were raised. Paul was the one, one of the ones that the scriptures were breathed through by the Holy Spirit. Paul still struggled with sin, even as this great incredible man of God. That's incredibly encouraging. But we would be in error if we read that and then just kind of stopped reading and said, okay, that's it. That's the be all and end all. So I want to do good, but it's hard. I don't want to do bad, but it's there. Uh, And so Paul acknowledges that the struggle is real, and we're just going to rest in that struggle and be okay with that struggle because Paul doesn't stop writing at this point. Paul acknowledges this very real struggle of sin and flesh and and wanting to do good and struggling with that and the the bad kind of pulling back. He struggles with all of that. But that's Romans chapter 7. He kept writing. And from this he goes into Romans 8. There's no condemnation. He keeps writing down to verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So, I mean, there's resurrection for all of us is the heart of this, these verses. But he doesn't stop with just, again, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Well, we're all just sinners. What are you going to do? We're all broken. What are you going to do? Right? I, I'm not perfect. What are you going to do? I'm not the best husband. What are you going to do? Like, the Scripture never stops there. And I I don't love the move I see in in theology these days of just kind of stopping there. Of just, hey, I'm just, I'm a sinful, broken husband and father and pastor who, that's just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. What are you going to do? Right? Because resurrection is the end of the story. Right? Holiness is what we are called to. So we acknowledge, like Paul in Romans 7, hey, this is a real struggle for sure. But then we also need to acknowledge with Paul in the next chapter, Romans 8, that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in us right now. That we are not left alone in our sin. We are not left alone in our struggle. That the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that's a game changer. Because then it's not just me struggling on my own. The helper has come to set me free from the sin that my flesh wants to do the helper has come. I'm not alone in this. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the phrasing is so beautiful. Could have just said Holy Spirit, but wanted to make very clear that for God, resurrection is no big deal. And that same spirit that resurrected Jesus is in you right now. Your sin is not unbeatable if the grave is not unbeatable. We can do better. We are called to holiness. We are called to walk after him. And so the spirit comes to help us in these things. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, your sins, you will live. If by the spirit you put your sins to death, you will live. We call this sermon today, the sin murdering spirit. How's that for a provocative title? Come on. The Spirit comes to put these things to death, to help us to put these things to death in our lives. He comes to bring us to holiness. How does he do that? The Holy Spirit, whose name is Holy Spirit, how does he help us? How does he bring us to holiness? First of all, the Holy Spirit fills us. And we've been talking about this throughout the series. One of our key verses, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. The verse before that says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to all kinds of problems, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit comes to fill us. And that happens differently for different people. We've talked about we all have different ways that we feel close to God, different ways that we connect with Him. But we need to be seeking the filling of the Spirit in our lives. I hope it's becoming clear as we go through this series. We actually can't do this without the Holy Spirit. We need Him for all of this. In the Christian walk. We need his help desperately. So be filled with the Spirit. If you think about a time in your life where you have felt close to God, where you have felt connected to him, whether it was a a worship time or a study time or a prayer time or at camp or whatever, if you think about a time when you feel close to God, if you can kind of relive that moment for a sec, Like, in that moment, when we feel connected to God, when we maybe feel his presence, or or we're we're getting filled up, or we feel that sort of thing, in that moment, just in that moment, sin is almost unthinkable, right? Sin is almost unthinkable when I'm in the presence of God, because I just, he's so real in that moment, and and I feel the connection to him, or I have the revelation from his word, or whatever is going on, but sin is almost unthinkable because his spirit is there in that moment, and he's always there. But when we're feeling that connection and that communion with God, sin is almost unthinkable because the Holy Spirit is there with us. And and so that's a pretty good step. If being in God's presence makes sin more difficult, then I should seek his presence more and more. Right? That's going to help me overcome my sin. If the filling of the Holy Spirit helps me overcome my sin, I'm going to seek that filling more and more. Whatever the access point is in my life where I connect with God, we've talked about worship and study and creation and justice and all these things, wherever I feel close and connected and filled up, I'm going to go there unapologetically because that's actually going to help me walk in a holy path. And the more the Spirit fills me up, the more of Him there is in my life, the less room there is for flesh. When we talked about the fruit of the Spirit a few weeks ago, the more fruit is growing in my heart, it just has a way of crowding out the sin. It just kind of pushes it out. So if the Spirit can help us in these things, let's seek the filling of the Spirit. Find the places in your life where you connect the most with Jesus. Unapologetically go for them. Make time for them. Because as we go there and as the Spirit meets us there, sin is going to become a lot more difficult for us. The Spirit comes to fill. The Spirit also comes to convict. John 16, 8. When the Spirit comes, Jesus said, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit comes to show us what we're doing wrong. We don't always know. Now, there's sin in my life that I'm aware of that's very obvious, but then there's other times where I might not be aware of something, and I'll be, you know, getting ready for bed, and then all of a sudden the thought will come to mind, you know what, the way you spoke to that person today, you really hurt their feelings. You need to go apologize. I might not have thought of that in the moment, but if we're praying, Holy Spirit, show us. We pray like the psalmist, search me, Lord, and know How is my heart today? How is my mind today? How are my words today? How are my actions today? The Holy Spirit comes to show us where we're wandering off the path so that we can correct and get back on the path again. And again, some stuff is very obvious, but sometimes we need help. The Holy Spirit comes to show us our sin. That's going to be crucial to helping us walk in holiness with Him. The Holy Spirit comes to empower. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life. Come on. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You have everything you need on you right now. There's nothing more that needs to come. You have the name of Jesus, you have the Word of God, you have His Holy Spirit living within you. You've got what you need. And it's not that we don't grow in that over time. It's not that gifts don't develop. But there's no more blessings. There's no more covenants. There's no more extra things we need. His Holy Spirit, His divine power in you right now has given you everything you need for a godly life. In order to overcome that sin in your life, you've got it in you already. Not because you're great, you're you're okay, but the Holy Spirit in you. You have everything that you need. It's already in you. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when temptation comes, you don't have to give in to it. You don't have to do that. And the lie of the enemy is, I just, I got to do it, right? I'm I'm addicted to it. My flesh wants it. The lie of the enemy is, here it comes, and I'm just going to do it because that's just what I do. But in the moment of temptation, God is faithful. You have everything you need in you already to live a godly life. You don't have to do that thing. There is enough within you to resist, and the Bible says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But we do have to resist. Our job is to resist but you have everything you need already. The Holy Spirit in you wants to help you overcome these things. The Holy Spirit in you is here to help you walk in the way that he has called you to walk. Last one, the Holy Spirit transforms us, and this is the best one. Because as much as I can resist sin and temptation day by day, wouldn't it be better if God just changed me so I didn't want to do those things anymore? Doesn't that just sound better? way more efficient. The Holy Spirit comes to transform us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all are being transformed into his image, Jesus' image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming us. We call this sanctification in the fancy Bible college word. We are in the process of being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And the Bible talks about our minds being renewed and our our nature being changed, being a new creation in Jesus. God says, when the new covenant comes, when the cross comes, I'm going to take the law off the tablets and I'm going to stamp it on your heart. It's going to be something that you want to live out. You're not obeying something that's on a list, but he'll put it in you so that you can live it out in a better way. And so the heart of God is not just that we fight against sin and resist every day. We need to do that. But the better, bigger picture is God renewing us and transforming us from the inside out so that we don't want to do those things anymore we had a guy at our last church who was a meth addict, and he had gone to Teen Challenge and gotten saved. His life was transformed, and uh, this was many years before we met him. And when he came, uh, when we met him at the church, he was this big, huge bodybuilder guy, like 260, 275, just jacked. And he would talk about, you know, in my meth days, I was like 130 pounds, like just skin and bones, and just going from hit to hit, and was just almost died multiple times. And then Got saved and then went to Teen Challenge, and the rehab helped a lot. And so he'd been sober for over a decade. And he said, You know, I, I always do have to be careful because I just am an addictive person. I could always fall back into that if I get complacent. But he says, Jesus has changed me enough that I don't really think about drugs anymore. It's just not even a thought. I don't crave it, I don't miss it. Uh, I've just been transformed. And that's just such an amazing, incredible, powerful thing. That the Holy Spirit comes to change you so that we don't want to sin anymore. That we would be pure from the inside out. And it's just the best solution. So as we connect with him, and as we read his word, and as we pray, and as we're filled, and as we spend time in his presence, we become different. Because as it turns out, when you spend a lot of time with a person, you start to take on some of their personality. Have you noticed that? When my brother got married, we noticed that as he started spending a lot of time, you know, living with his wife, they started laughing the same, and they started finishing each other's sentences, and they started saying the same phrases. And you spend a lot of time with a person, you start to kind of take on who they are a little bit, and that's true of the Holy Spirit, that's true of Jesus, that when we spend time with him, we start to look more like him. When we connect and commune with him, we start to look more like him, and we start to be transformed more and more with ever-increasing glory. I love the phrase. This is picking up steam as time goes on. We are looking more like him as time goes on, as we are transformed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's not an easy process or a quick one, necessarily. Galatians 5.24, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we acknowledge that this is a bit more of a work-in-process scripture rather than something that's already done. I don't know anyone uh, that has put the flesh down in their lives perfectly. But it's a crucifixion process. Uh, It's not a quick death. It is a a day-by-day and and sometimes hour-by-hour process of saying, I'm not going to choose that. I'm not going to go there. Holy Spirit, help me uh, out in the middle of this moment of temptation. Like, it's not always quick and easy, but it's the process of putting that old, sinful, selfish part of us to death. It's a, it's a, a process of letting that stuff go so that the spirit of life can flow in our lives more and more. Uh, that we will look more and more like him. Almost done. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? As we walk by the Spirit, as we walk in his ways, as we are filled with him, as we live that out, the flesh loses its power in our lives. Right? The more of him that is filling me up, the less room there is for flesh. The more I sense his presence and the more I walk in his power, the more easy it is to resist sin. But there is something put on us. We choose to walk by the Spirit or not. And it's interesting in our passage in Romans 8, Paul doesn't say exactly the Holy Spirit will put these things to death. He says, you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body. I have to choose whether I'm going to declare war on the sin in my life or not. I have to choose whether I'm going to walk by the spirit or not. And the more I walk by the spirit, the more I see the spirit at work in my life. The more I walk by the flesh, the more the flesh takes over in my life. The more I try to put these things to death, the more I see them die. The more I let them flourish and spread, the more they are at work in my life, these bad things. So the choice is ours. We have a role to play in this, but we don't have to do it by ourselves. The helper has come to help you put these things to death in your life, that you could walk in holiness before our God. Come on up, worship team. We have an email address here at Meadowbrook called questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in your bulletin as well. If you have any questions about the message today or comments, if you want to keep talking about anything that we've talked about today, uh, we would love to do that. We do that every week with people, and please feel free to use that by all means. There's an old illustration that preachers use when they talk about the flesh and the spirit. You may have heard it before. And the illustration is there's, there's two dogs living inside of you. There's a black dog and a white dog. And the black dog is the flesh and the white dog is the spirit. Have you heard this before ever? These two dogs are fighting. And that's from Paul talking about there's a war going on inside of me. And so these two dogs are fighting. And the, the challenge from preachers always is, which one are you feeding? Because whichever dog you feed is going to be the stronger dog. That's going to be the dog that wins the fight. So... Are you feeding into the flesh? Are you continuing in your sin? Are you letting it rest there? Are you okay with the sin in your life? Or are you feeding into the Spirit? And are you praying and reading the Word? Are you walking with God? And are you seeing that side get stronger so that that side can win? And there's good in this. I have a love-hate relationship with this illustration. The good in this is there's truth in what I just said, that whichever side you give attention to uh, is probably going to develop more in your life. And so we're trying not to engage our fleshy side. We're trying to choose the Spirit. So there is a lot of truth in that. But where I don't like it is that it kind of presumes that there are two equal factors, right? The flesh and the Spirit are equally fighting inside of us in this war that's going on. And the flesh and the Holy Spirit are not equal at all the Holy Spirit is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is not equal to the flesh. And so if we're going to do the dog metaphor, it needs to look a little bit more like this, I think. It's not an equal fight. The helper from heaven has come, and he's on your side to overcome these things in your life. And so we are seeking after the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit that we would walk in a way that's pleasing to God and the Holy Spirit has come to help us do exactly that. We don't have to do this on our own. We're going to close with a bit of worship and then we'll wrap up with prayer. Would you stand with me, please? Jesus, we thank you for the grace that has forgiven our sins, has paid the price for our sins, but not just that, the grace that sets us free from our sins, that we are no longer slaves to sins, but we are slaves to righteousness. And Lord, where the flesh pulls back and where the old nature rises up and where temptation is there, thank you that you have not left us alone, that we have everything we need. And we pray, rise up in us, Holy Spirit. Rise up more and more. Fill us more and more. Empower us more and more. That these things would be put to death in our lives. That they would not nag at us or pull us back. They would not bring guilt and condemnation, Lord, but that we would walk in the freedom that has already been bought for us. The price that was paid at the cross and the grace that you have released to us. Come, Spirit of God, come help her and help us walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Help us to walk in the way of holiness and purity as we walk with Jesus. We ask for all of this in Jesus' mighty and awesome and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. and we-